Welcome to the WCAPS 5 podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vive. Vision. Impact. Voice. Engagement. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us at the WCAPS Vive podcast. My name is Lara Al-Sudani-Weeks, and I am the co-founder and art director at French 22 Studio based out of Columbus, Ohio. And I am here with Malaz Al-Jama'abi. She is a designer, a Sudanese designer, um, professor, and artist. Hi, Malaz. Hi, Lara. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay. Well, uh, well, first of all, hi, everyone as well. who are listening. As Lara mentioned, I'm a Sudanese designer, a professor and artist who now lives in Cleveland, Ohio and um, have a seven-year-old son. His name is Kareem. And um, I'm part of an awesome community in Cleveland, uh, in the neighborhood of Ohio City. Awesome. So we are going to discuss today a little bit about investing in the uh, Arab community in in Sudanese artists, the struggle between um, the, the Arab supremacy ideology and um, the how can our community influence the Black Lives Matter from multiple perspectives. So the first question is, uh, what struggles have you had being a Sudanese Nubian woman artist living in America? Um, well, that's a very interesting question because prior to moving to America, I um, I haven't really seeked out to resolve the identity conflict. I've lived in um, in Sudan and then moved to London where I, um, I did my architecture study and then uh, went to work in the Middle East, in Qatar. And it wasn't until I came here and saw the degree of um, injustices that are part of the American experience that I decided to kind of really try to reflect on my own experience as a privileged black person in America, yet still part of a largely underprivileged group. And that started by me trying to understand first my community, which is um, the Sudanese community in the United States. Um, we've, we have 
um, probably immigrated in to the United States as like communities um, since the early 1900. And uh, we for we have communities all over in in most almost all the uh, the United States. Um, yet in the recent years after the well the war in, in South Sudan and um, after that, the conflict in Darfur, we've, we have witnessed huge um, massive, mass immigrations. And as a result of those uh, political events at home, we have um, seen some political divisions and, um, and identity divisions outside. Um, so we started to merge more of like, uh, what is my um, ethnic background? What is my tribal background? Uh, are we, the, the identity issues, are we Arabs? Are we African? Are we both? Um, and to try to really um, understand what, what are we, what are we as a, um, as Sudanese people, and for me, as a as also kind of like a, an artist um, in the new demographic composition of the United States as well. So I feel I feel one of the things that are very um, important is how the the American identity, racial, and um, sort of struggles have allowed me to also reflect on my own community struggles as well, which are in sometimes they are similar. And in some ways they also, um, they are also different. So, I don't know. Does that answer mm. the question? I feel like I... I, I think so. so uh, is there anything specific that you can think of in... Maybe if you can reference your work in Qatar versus what you are doing now at Kent State University or any kind of situation where you feel like um, it's similar but you were treated differently because of your heritage and your background, whether it's from the Arab community, whether it's from the African-American community here in the United States, or maybe from just like a, a, a white American. Is there something that, can you remember something that might have uh, affected your progression in your career because of your ethnic background? I, I, I don't think, in, in particular, like as a career development, that um, I have experienced something that's so blatantly obvious. Um, there might, when I was in Qatar, so for example, I remember um, when I was in Qatar and I was working as a, a, an architect in an office, 
uh, and we had a very high profile client. And when we go to the client meetings, I was often um, treated as the secretary or the sort of like the intern. And my intern, who was a male at the time, but um, uh, younger than me, was uh, assumed automatically that uh, they were the architect. Um, and I think that is mainly um, because the country itself was at the time very young in um, women education. Um, we still have a lot of uh, intersectional like issues at sexism, um, women, uh, lack of women in higher places and um, in leadership position or in um, decision making. So I, I think at the time when I experienced that, um, not many women were working in, in my field, which is architecture. Um, then I came to the United States and um, as a matter of fact, I did it. I did receive opportunities on, as opposed to being um, taken away or like hindered. I was given opportunities to progress in my career, but I have to mention the reason of why I was given those opportunities. And it wasn't because it's, a, it's sort of like a, um, affirmative actions or things like that. I was given those opportunity because the work I do has value. Now that value wouldn't, I believe, wouldn't have been recognized if it wasn't for the women who were in leadership at the time and were minority women that recognized the type of work which is I do, which is connecting with the I do community um, oriented uh, design work and public project, public art project. The value of this type of project for so long has been diminished as part of a system that um, didn't really value connecting with the community. And um, the woman Lillian Curry, who was the person who really um, gave me the opportunity um, in, in my city in Cleveland now to apply uh, this type of approach in architecture and public art. Uh, she is of Lebanese uh, origin and she holds a very high position. And so I felt um, while it wasn't necessarily um, an American dream that was offered to me in that sense, but if it, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been given that opportunity if it wasn't for having someone like her with her experience to to advocate for people like me um, in, in, in the art world here. Yeah, this is, this is great. And I think that it, you're just reiterating the fact that we need more women in power, one, and we need more minority women in power. And we also need more minority women, Arab, Sudanese, Nubian artists in power. So we need to keep elevating ourselves and, and keep pulling each other up to make sure that, you know, we give the advantage to those who are disadvantaged. So now that you are in a position where you feel like 
you know, you're leading and mobilizing and, and organizing for your community, um, just making sure that we keep inspiring the next generation to do the same, because this is the only way we can get ahead to a certain degree, you know? Um, and it's so not yeah, this like, is great. And, and it's, and so that was the, the thing that I recognize and I'm, I'm very appreciative for, but also on the other hand, I could recognize the system that doesn't work to my advantage. And by that, I mean, uh, for, for someone like me to come to the United States, um, and, and not just me as a, someone who's coming from the outside, but I also have seen this happening to a lot of people who are already at an, uh, of minorities in the United States, and they, they, are, they are from the United States, that the, the system of success and development is not just based on opportunity, it's also based on network and support. And people who advocate for you and show you opportunities and present, present them to you when you're not even aware of them. And um, a lot of white people, um, let's say it's a large group or a lot of the, the people who have been historically privileged, have those networks in place have people that they know or people they are um, aligned with who, ha who have access to resources, access to opportunities. Um, they could advocate for them, uh, nominate them, pass something to, to them. Those are the things that I, for example, I mean, I'm very grateful like, for the award I received and from, from many institutions here for, for the work I do, but I have to go and seek them. I have to find them myself. There wasn't like a, someone would say, it was like, hey, I think your work would be really good for this one. I think that this is gonna be very good for you. It's always, you have to do all the work yourself, which is great. It's a great learning process, but that's what happens when we look at how, why we work harder, why we, why we uh, struggle more. And it's not in a bad way. It's just that um, success doesn't just happen just by hard work. It also has a, a other elements to it. And I feel that that could be the kind of, um, the change that I would like to see to make this, to make, the experience of um, an artist or a designer or someone uh, in the United States who, who, don't, who don't have all of this, invest their talent and their time in actually making and producing and, and, and contributing to the, to the body of, of work or the, the community they're trying to um, influence by their work. So... They need that, that other type of support that um, other groups have automatically. So to get, maybe we can dive into the specifics. And my next question is like, what, do you have any specific direction on how to elevate African art in America for people like you, for people in your community? What do you think is, is, the, is the place to start? And then how do you build from there? That's a very good question. 
um, because I think, I mean, I see, I, I agree the, in, in, in the sense that there need to be more um, effort done to elevate the value of, uh, of African art or um, ethnic art. People are coming, even if it's, it, if people who are from um, fr diaspora or immigrants and they have, they come with their, their own sort of like um, ethnic culture and, and, and art to, to bring it to the, to the mainstream um, art world, not as something exotic, but as something of inherent value uh, of, of um, part of our collective uh, knowledge and wisdom. So resources, I would say, I mean, there is art world has a structure, has a system and how it works. You have curators, you have um, museums that determine, that's how you, how values of, um, of things in America in, a, in, in this type of economy is created. So by having, first of all, people of diverse backgrounds be in those places, they will bring their own views to the world of that organizations too, which will in return invite other um, type of art to, to be part of those, of those um, conversations. So I think that is a very first place to start with, which are the institutions that uh, patron or um, sponsors art and culture to work internally on diversifying their curatorial team, um, their collections, and, um, and working together with sort of like communities that they are part of to to come up with an experience um, around, around that type of art. So it's not only like the organization just doing the work uh, for the community, but also part of elevating the value is elevating the community where those art comes from. So it doesn't become a, an exploitation. It becomes sort of like an empowerment, a, a mutual relationship. Uh, there is a sense of... Um, uh, we are part of that and we are not just the audience so you working together and there is a really good example for that where the the boston museum um have recently worked with the sudanese community in curating and um the the exhibition the nubian exhibition and they've showcased um pieces that were there for the first time now it was an amazing exhibition but it also on a very critical point ask um, questions like where should African art uh, be you know is it should, should African should African ancient like uh, uh, art like the art of Nubian kingdoms and Kushite kings lay in the basement of a, of a American museum where they can only be seen for a very exclusive uh, group of people um, 
at certain times or there should be a really also very organized process to to return some of these high value uh, antiques and work of art and history to their native um, countries and then also be shared with the rest of the world as well so I think that's that's one one way to to look at how we can start um, elevating that Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So to piggyback off of that question, as we're elevating and as we're empowering and we're not exploiting and we're making sure that there's representation, um, we're not only showcasing the art, but we're making it an experience, as you said, how do you think these institutions should invest in artists from African descent, Arab descent, um, where where is that resource do you find it available for especially for you was it available when you were you know launching your career here in the united states and how do you think that um where do you think some of these women artists can find these resources well i mean i think the i don't think the the, the answer to your um sort of like second Part or like the first part of the questions, if they are available, I think they are rare. Really rare, like uh, in, in, not in a good way. There are so many opportunities available for artists in general. But if you try to look into those ones, the, the people who set up those opportunities uh, and they kind of like then go into um, selection process, Artists who, who, let's say, have, um, there's one, one point, there's like, there's artists from communities of um, immigrants, community, let's say, and um, not necessarily kind of like mainstream type, mainstream type or not necessarily educated in the U.S. Um, so they become aware of those opportunities. In the first place, they don't know about it. Even if it's there, some opportunities, they don't know about it. So those institutions are not doing enough work or effective work to really um, put their message out there for the group of it. That they are, if they are trying to kind of like um, attract or include in their um, uh, pool of candidates, for, for those opportunities in general. So like this, this lies on the responsibilities of those um, institutions. Now, sometimes the, there are other factors that plays a role in that, which is um, you have a lot of communities here and maybe this is, goes around in many different communities, doesn't have to be specific to Arabs or but first generation immigrants they're very insular um, sometimes, and then they they uh, they work really great together, but their involvement in the wider community is still kind of like shy. Uh, and a lot of the time, it things that has to do with um, language. So uh, language is another way to make things accessible for the community, so they can understand what you are. Um, 
uh, advertising or like what opportunities are, are, are there for them. Um, I have many friends who are extremely talented, amazing. I think they would enrich the art scene in the United States and the and inspire people and uh, overall just add to the add to the uh, collective energy of of any any um, space who are um, isolated from those opportunities due to language barriers, due to um, uh, organization not reaching out to them to see how do they want to express their work as well? What mediums they are comfortable with instead of predetermining these things. Um, so I think one way to do that is if, if um, the organizations in general, um, foundations, art organizations, um, museums, or, or any other sort of like um, art philanthropy or um, initiatives, is to sit down with the community and say, this is what we do, and this is what we want um, to see in our, in our work in future. So we wanna see more diverse, more, more authentic. What do you think? What do you, how do we approach that? Work with them together on, on those issues and um, if, I think if that happens, we'll see more uh, opportunities that start to open up for um, for people, for example, like from, from communities like mine, from Sudanese, from African, from Arab. And, and like I said, like you, uh, just me mentioning that, there's a lot of different um, identities that I, I, I go with, which is quite an advantage because then it gives you access to a lot of... Um, venues but then at the same time you can't assume that all people are like this one homogeneous group so if you reach one it's by is then that you mean you reach all of them sometimes there are even in within uh, one group like you have in arabs you'll have um arabs who are in africa you have middle eastern um, you have the, let's say, the Muslim community. You have Muslims are Asian Muslim communities. And you have Muslims are in um, uh, Africa or uh, Europe. So there is not one label for that. We just like say, okay, I reached that group. I am done. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a really great point that I think segues into the next question. I want you to either share your experiences or just kind of, you know, maybe other people's experiences that you have uh, uh, like chatted with about what they have been through. But how, how do you feel since we're talking about the differences between Arabs and yes, we are all under one bucket, but at the same time, we're not, we are all individuals that come from different backgrounds, different dialects, different cultures, different, different skin colors. So it doesn't mean that we are all the same. And, you know, I second what you said about if you reach one community of Arabs doesn't mean you have reached all because every, 
Arab community, every African community that is within the Minaswana region, um, the Southwest Asian and North African region, it's, it's different. You have to talk to them in a different language. You have to talk to them in a different way. Visuals are going to be, should be represented differently to, to reach out to that community. So how do you feel like, whether when you were working in the Middle East, in Sudan, in Qatar, or here in America, how do you feel, how has Arab supremacy affected the growth of like your growth or other African women artists growth from the Swana region here in the United States or in the Middle East? Um, this is very, this is very close to heart because this is uh, probably the, the, the work that I am most passionate about, which is um, helping the community, which is I am from, to understand how can we navigate our own um, issues of um, supremacy, like you mentioned, and um, privilege and um, colorism, and to a lot of extent, racism as well. So Sudan in particular is a very um, good example, uh, but I will give you a very um, sort of like Latin example. If you, when you see any, when you see any posters about Arabs, do you ever see dark skin on those posters? No, never. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, so that's a thing. One thing, when you have countries in, um, uh, in, in and even within the Arab world itself, is it within one country? You will have people who have um, um, ranging from different skin color, but then we in within that we um, our our sort of like our own community struggle with colorism and um, racism when it comes to like a who's Arab and, and how people who are darker skin are treated within the Arab world uh, itself um, by, um, I mean, this is, to give a little bit of history, this is not just rooted in, in things that are um, ignorance. This is rooted in a long history of slavery. So Arab and African, so African slavery, African towards Africans, and then on a larger scale, Arabs towards African. Slavery was very um, rampant during the, during the like early centuries, take it from the, uh, the five, what is it, 500 up to, even recently in Sudan, up to the 20th century, we had uh, slavery there that were majority of slave owners identified as ethnically coming from an Arab background, where the majority of enslaved community were coming from indigenous Sudanese tribes. So that supremacy that is deeply rooted in um, violation of human rights and um, 
economic abuse has resulted in what people now see in America, for example, like this proportions uh, of uh, wealth and um, access to resources and education. So you will have, in, in my community, for example, in my country, in Sudan, um, we have today, well, today is the August 31st. I, I know this will be um, aired on a later time. But today we signed the peace deal, uh, sort of like the initial, initial um, signatures, um, to end decades-long war that was deeply rooted in, in racism and ethnic um, cleansing. And there was a huge part of it that is uh, very closely tied in, in Arab supremacy where um, Arabs try, or, or Sudanese tribes of, of, um, uh, that identifies ethnically Arabs were, a, were um, supported by the government to um, attack other tribes who are predominantly um, uh, natively African. So the work that I, currently do, for example, in our communities to try to really see if we can um, truly create change. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> this is my son who just came. Uh, we are in a Zoom world now, so my son just sort of like came into the podcast, but... Um, so the work I'm doing right now is uh, with the Sudanese community, try to address those sort of like um, racial um, injustices that resulted in, in, um, in war, in people being displaced. And we have in America, for example, a large refugee population um, from areas that were impacted by war like Darfur, uh, Nuba Mountain, and um, a majority of those people were forced to flee their um, homes and then to come to the United States, which is um, were also the home for a lot of immigrants and majority of them were economic uh, and uh, education, the um, immigrant, uh, but uh, not ironically, but obviously they come from the more privileged side of the country. Um, so. They, they all end up here in the United States, which is the land of the free, free the, the land is that advocating for um, value of justice and equality, and even going through their own struggle to achieve that publicly. Um, yet the community here is very segregated. You have, you, they're echoing the same segregation that we see in American uh, um, demographic of majority uh, Arabs, kind of like uh, Sudanese Arabs, for example, uh, separate from the other group who are um, African or identify more with African tribe, even though almost all of the country speaks Arabic. That doesn't say we're native Arabic speakers, but as, a, as the formal language, uh, and the language that has been for a long time part of the um, 
the tongues of the people is the is the Arabic. We still have other tribal languages uh, and uh, other sort of like more regional languages that uh, people can can um, understand beside beside the Arabic. But then the majority of the country and the formal language is Arabic, so everyone speaks Arabic. But um, yet the two communities are completely segregated. And one of the things that I wanted to do uh, when, I, when I realized that this is what is happening in my um, city of Cleveland, uh, that the, every time I go to an event or I see a, an advertisement for a program or an event, I only see one group and not see the other. And when I ask why, there's this always this sort of um, uh, vague answers that for me doesn't really speak to what people are um, trying to, to aspire for, whether here in America or um, back home in Sudan, especially after the revolution in, that we just uh, successfully uh, had in 2019. And, and that is peace and equality uh, and justice. So the, the project that uh, started with the community is we want to do something about that. We want to do something to, to really have people talk about um, racism within our own community, to have, to have um, all of us talk about what do we aspire um, for ourselves, for uh, for here in America, but also for um, our countries back home, in terms of peace, what does peace mean to you? What does peace mean to me? And uh, one way to know to do that was to start from the beginning, from actually getting to know each other. You, I mean, I up until this day, I still get people from the Arab world who would look at me and say, like, "Oh, do you guys speak Arabic?" I'm like, "Yes, we do." And just because we we um, we don't necessarily like um, look uh, in a certain way that matches what um, what an Arab person in a, someone's mind looks like, we're still uh, we still speak the language. We still are very familiar with a lot of the culture. We have some um, different uh, cultural things, but um, that brings me back to the idea that there's a lot of the times we don't know each other. And from that comes the perception of uh, our inability to, to, to coexist, well, to exist together in a really meaningful way, to form genuine understanding and empathy towards each other. So um, the project I'm working with the community right now is convert, we're converting a van into a mobile uh, recording and storytelling studio. And one of our first stations is the Sudanese community here in Cleveland, about 400 uh, people that comes from these two groups. And they are very segregated into these two um, uh, more historically privileged, more uh, economic immigrants. And then the other were being um, victims of a lot of injustices, war, displacement and um and are here um mostly fleeing those situations at home um and to try to bridge those um 
differences through storytelling, um, through meeting them where they are instead of trying to further the inequality by, uh, by only giving a platform for people who can come to you. So it's called Habobavan, which is a mean grandmother in uh, Sudanese and in Arabic. So Haboba means grandmother. It also means beloved uh, or the loved one. And uh, it, traditionally in the culture, and I'm sure this is something that many of uh, people of other cultures identify with, the grandmother is the storyteller, uh, but she also the connector, the community builder, the person who, who really um, uh, genuinely and intentionally uh, goes around listening to those stories and um, trying to bring people together. So do you that's what I was going to ask to, for you to provide the, the Instagram or like the name of the project so our listeners can get the chance to check that out. This is great. And, you know, thank you for touching on that subject because I feel like this is such a, it's a touchy, it's a touchy subject in, in the Arab community. And, so many people just don't even want to have that conversation. You just put out a couple words, a couple sentences about, you know, can we please discuss racism in a subconscious way? And it's silence. Usually, at least in my case, this is how it is from family, from friends, like, you know, people that you think that they might be able to understand because, you know, them themselves are also people of color. They're a minority that are living in this country. And, to, to see that they are unable to take themselves out of their perspective and see how they can relate to specifically, you know, since we are in a timely situation right now, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement, and how can we be able to understand the reasons why people are protesting? Just, just simply that. We're not asking for more from the Arab community. We're just asking that you can recognize the reasons why this is happening, that you can, you know, do your, go online and do some research on what is the history of slavery in America? When did it start? How did it start? You know, is there, what, I remember I had a, not, not necessarily a question, but someone has approached me and said like, really? There was a colored water fountain and a white only water fountain? I didn't know that. And this is just for someone from our community to come out and say that, like we are taking advantage of what all of the African-American community has done in the past, however many years that they have been protesting against, you know, violence and racism and segregation. So we are a product of their good doing and we should be able to recognize that and stand right by them. and you know, commemorate what they have done. And, and I just think that to, for me, being an Arab woman originally from Palestine, my family's Palestinian, but I was born and raised in Jordan. I have a complexion that is darker than your regular Arab woman. My hair is kinkier. My height is not your average, you know, Arab woman height. I also married a black man, an Afro-Caribbean man. So, you know, I was always called the N-word back home when I was living in Jordan. And I never knew what that meant even because that was not something you talked about and discussed and learned about in school. So, 
you know, I, I just thought it was a term of endearment. And great. People like my skin tone and they're calling me that, that name. And then when I came here and I learned about the African-American experience and um, just tried to immerse myself as much as possible after I met my husband. And, you know, it was, it was just, it was a, an experience that I never thought existed. And it was, it was just ignorance. And I had to remove myself from, you know, acting like I know it all and that I, and I understand how is it like to be a person of color, but I don't understand how is it like to be a black person. And I think that that separation can really help the Arab community step into someone else's shoes and understand that being a person of color is not the same as being a black person. You know, we are privileged in so many ways and we're taking advantage of the, the struggles of the black community, the, you know, Africans, African-Americans, people like yourself, what you go through, it's, we need to be able to just say, you know, all the power to you. Let's learn from you and let's, you know, help lift you up instead of keep putting you down. And I think that um, this, this kind of segues into the next question, which is how can Arabs, people who identify as an Arab, no matter what your skin complexion is, what language you speak, how can Arabs navigate around the African-American struggle? And I feel like it's also including people like yourself that might identify as African, not necessarily as Arab, but understand the Arab history and culture and language. So how, how can our people be able to navigate the African-American struggle in the United States? Okay, the first, I think, um, Lara, what you said was very, very um, honest and very beautiful as well. I mean, you started by saying we, the first thing is to humble um, ourselves as a community and to start by teaching ourselves and our children the history of the United States not to take what we listen or, or like right now the form of education that's happening is you come to a community you immigrate to a one place you are born to an, and then what what you hear is what the community says and most of the time those are very racist very ignorant very biased comments like um i, I can't tell you how many times that um, someone who would see me as Arab would say, oh, don't, don't live in that area or don't, it's full of blacks. And I look at them and I'm like, I am black. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> How, what do you mean? Is that a bad thing? <laughs> so what do you see me as a, as a, as a, as something inferior to you or some sort of like a danger? And they still hold a lot of this, the stereotypes that is uh, promoted by white, me uh, white supremacist media and, um, and the, the old the, the supremacist ideals that had for so long obliged the whole United States. So um, one thing is to really start from a place of, of humbleness to know that without the civil rights, that allowed the immigration um, uh, rights of, uh, in the 60s, 
that we you wouldn't have this uh, privileges as we are here. The second thing is a lot of the time when people come here from um, from other countries, uh, they where they have had where they have in, enjoyed some some level of like education and um, and come from from culture or family who are who are um, really uh, as as a lot of immigrant people are hardworking. Uh, focuses on on success for their children and all of that. They they come here and they don't understand that the resources that are available to you that we are benefiting from is meant to benefit as well the community, the largest community here. And and it is great that we are uh, we are um, enjoying that, but it's also a responsibility. We can't just take without giving back. And giving back is not only just to give back to our community, like our, our um, insular communities like our, or our ethnic communities. It's to give back to the, to the community, the larger community, the minorities that we are here. Once we set a foot in the United States, we are part of it. And, and how can we elevate others who, are, uh, who have been here before us? in the same way that we are being elevated by the work they continue to do. So this is, this is very important. I, I was thinking the other day about that. I was like, um, can we start in our communities in, in Arab, and I was just saying that, can we start starting like mosques or churches and um, social sort of like groups or organization in Arab communities with anti-racism uh, trainings, course, lectures, speakers, people like me who could come and speak language, the languages of, um, of other community that they can talk about their um, experience in, with, with racism. And I have to bring something the other day when uh, one artist, uh, uh, an African-American artist was speaking about um, their experience here, and um, and they know that I'm I'm from Sudan. So uh, the artist looked at me and he said, "We need to learn our history the same way you know your history." And sometimes I wish if I had your history. And at that moment, Lara, I I I stopped him. I said, "No, you don't." I said, "My great grandfather was a slave owner." was an Arab slave owner. We, the legacy, the privilege that I enjoy, and I will continue to enjoy for decades to come, even if I try not to, are built on, the, on a legacy, the, the wealth, the knowledge, the everything is built on a legacy of, of uh, owning other human beings. So, and until we are, we do acknowledge that, and we truly seek to create that change from within us. We can't be of, of help to the outside, to the other communities, because we are struggling within our, within our communities um, of like, um, Arabs, 
community with issues that mirror a lot of what is on the outside. So if you are not able to kind of navigate through that and hold um, the answers to some of those questions, in fact, you might be able to really be very useful because for, for the I know of it, you sit in a place where you can talk to both. You can talk to a group who are being historically privileged and you can understand what does privilege mean? What does the fear, fragility, um, what does that all supremacy ideas that are told to you since you're a child of how great you are, how the best you are, the cleanest you are, the most beautiful you are. You know what it means to grow up with that sense of like a, a certain propaganda to some extent, but those sort of like ideals that are very like a, on, on, a, on a societal level, on a whole community level. But you also can identify with being um, someone who is a minority in another situation, like in that's in the United States, someone who's different because of their accent, because they don't fit into what a, a image of a standard, like an American person with uh, blue eyes or white skin or uh, uh, white names. And, uh, and you have probably in your life as well, grow, growing up or at school being called names uh, in, in different settings or being made to feel like you are um, less valued or um, you are less American or um, there's a lot of like devaluing to things that you uh, represent and you haven't seen rep representation of yourself in media or places of power or um, you haven't seen generational of generation of um, uh, knowledge in, in institutions supported your growth. So um, you, you sit in a really a special place and we sit as a, in a very special place to be able to contribute to a solution but we it has to start from within us and and the good thing is it's a small scale we don't have we don't hold us much power um, as in term of like a the scale of the united states but we hold power within our community within our social uh construct and um and we can, we can start by, by fixing that, fixing that issue within our community and automatically it will empower us to, to really pay back a lot to the, the white America by enlightening them with why they need that change or how important that change to, to them as well as to, to, to the other groups who are more um, who, who are being on the, on the disadvantaged side. So I, I think Holden, I would love to see Arab organization instead of just calling anti-blackness as a, something that is um, condemned or instead of just sort of like a supporting, uh, giving a statement to support, to actually start mobilizing from within uh, the community to to hold real talk about uh, racism, racism within the community itself, and then how does that manifest 
when we um, interact with with the different minority groups in in in, in our new home uh, or and for some people who are like this is their new home america is their new home a uh, second generation third generation and even fourth generation to I would love to see those young people who are more empowered than people who are older with older ideas that are not easy to get rid of to take the lead you know to i mean sometimes to offer them to to offer the older generation to to kind of like uh, join them in that change but if they don't to just go ahead and 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 bypass them because if people if that's what is holding us back as a community then how are we expecting to to move forward as as uh, as people who uh, like for our children themselves who are going to be American uh, were born here and this is their land? How are we expected to to really instill in them the values that they they too identify with? I mean, a lot of children I speak to, second generation or third generation, they recognize their parents as racist. And they recognize that those are those things are wrong, and they don't know what to do about it. They say, "Well, we try to talk about it, like in in my house." So those conversations, same conversation, you will it will be echoed with um, white suburb, white uh, rural people that were like talking about how their families who have never interacted with someone who's different um, still hold and and those sort of like. Um, bigoted ideas or ignorance or, and it's not that, it's not that it is bad to have judgments and ideas because sometimes it's essential, even as, as uh, immigrants in the beginning, trying to adjust to a new country, you want, people are, are more scared to lose their culture. Uh, people are, so they tend to shun people uh, out from the outside. Uh, more and be and be more um, conservative with with their sort of like group to, to preserve their cultures uh, but also like you are going to be growing and you're going to be working you're going to be holding a position of, of power whether it's your work or whether it's your um, um, civic engagement in other places so how those ideals are going to be going to manifest uh, once you once you are in places where you're interacting with people, whether it's with service or to um, different uh, work, but even even things like when they do Arab organizations, how many times you see Arabs of dark or people who are like cross, like African Arabs, uh, part of those organizations? Uh, there are so many countries that are still, I mean, Arabs and identity is a national, it's national identity. You have Moroccans Arab, you have Mauritanian or Arabs, you have people in Mali speaks Arab, in Chad they speak Arab. Um, you have people in, in the Gulf who are completely different culture than people who are in uh, Lebanon and, and other, other Arab phonic um, countries. But then there is a lot of representations from certain parts, but there is the less representations from other other um, uh, more kind of like a non-typical like sort of like if you, you I don't like to com compare Arabs to white 
even though I know a lot of Arabs who classify themselves as white. Uh, but I, I think it would be it would be a good place to start for to be more inclusive in terms of like even organizational structure and to start um, creating change from within our smaller community groups by, by really do, do, do uh, intentional work on anti-racism and um, ed education about racial, racial um, the history of race in America in particular and the history of race in our home countries and not to shy, not to shy from that, uh, not to be hindered by shame, guilt, or denial, uh, but to be very transparent about it and um, to acknowledge if there's the wrongdoings and to try to really move back by that through meaningful engagement. Yeah. I, I have so much to say then we're going to keep our listeners you know on hold for the next four or five hours if we if we keep talking but this is this is fantastic and and it just it's just bringing up so many so many things and, and one thing that i want to touch on is that to raise the next generation to raise our children and to like you said the, the children that you are you know teaching they are they they recognize that their parents are racist they understand so this is not something that it's a it's it's a very black and white issue there's no middle ground and i think that we as an arab community keep putting ourselves right in the middle and almost like stepping right on top of the obstacle that's in front of us to avoid the narrative to avoid the questions and and the conversation because we just don't feel comfortable having it so it always starts with being comfortable to have this conversation and i feel like it starts with the home, just like everything else in our lives. Just the, the way you raise your children, the way you, you have the conversation about, um, specifically for me, I have two very small children. They're two girls, four and two, and you know they are black, they are Afro-Caribbean, they are Arab, they are Muslim. So their identity is, is, is very important. Their skin color is, is extremely important in this in this political narrative that we're living in right now. And no matter what you do, you just cannot avoid it. And having the conversation with my four-year-old and two-year-old, now that she's starting to understand certain things, um, it just, it, it's just eye-opening even for me to be able to experiment with how to approach that conversation. How can I tell her about her skin tone? How can we, you know, this politicized, idea of black hair how can we have that conversation how can we make her love her hair by not straightening it all the time because she has this kinky hair that can curl but it can become an afro but it can you know it can just take on so many different shapes and sizes and i feel like you know as an arab that hair itself is is not a conversation um, or maybe it is for some communities, but at least where I come from, if you have curly hair, you straighten it, you know, because you want to fit in, because it's too hard to take care of, because there's not a lot of products that, um, at least back then, that can help you, you know, just style it in a certain way. So I always wish that 
I had the resources that I am giving my children right now, just to mm-hmm. be able to understand what it is to have hair love and to appreciate yourself. And, and why is it that you have hair the way you do? And, you know, why is it Baba's hair is different and then mama's hair is different? What, where do they come from? Like, what is their background and their, um, you know, so it just, this is just like one very small example, but I feel like having that conversation with the next generation that is about to start leading us. And, and I always say that the youth of today, they're not the leaders of tomorrow. They're the leaders of today. So Layla at four years old, you know, she needs to know how to lead and not to follow because no one is supposed to tell her what to do or who she is or, or how she should conduct herself as long as she has manners, she has respect for all people, all colors, all religions, all genders, all of it. And it just, it all starts with the home and it starts with having that conversation with our, with our children. And then that can become a much more easier conversation to have with adults because you're simplifying it to the, to the, to the T, you know, you, you are taking all of the, the hard questions and, and, and the violence out of it. And you're trying to keep it more about, you know, appreciation and self-love and, you know, how can you also love others that don't look like you? And it just, like I said, we can keep having this conversation for hours. And, it, it, and, I, and, I, and I know that there are people out there that would love to join in on this conversation, which goes back to our discussion on, how can we lift each other up and how can we as women, as Arab women, as African women, as artists in general, how can we come together and really elevate each other, put ourselves in leadership positions, um, you know, create doors for our own to open. We're not, and at the same time, having allies that are of a different background than us, because we can't do this on our own. We have to all come together, understand each other's perspectives and backgrounds to be able to keep moving our, just our world forward. And I think that my last question is just to, to touch on again, the Black Lives Matter movement, because I feel like it's it just such a timely subject matter right now. All of the protests that are still happening for in Portland and in, in Kentucky and you know it just how 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 are Arabs and people from North Africa how how can they be able to how can we be able to influence the Black Lives Matter movement and elevate it and lift it up instead of weaken it the first thing and I'm so glad you asked that question the first thing is to believe that black life matters and when you believe in that it doesn't matter where it is black life matter in egypt matters black life people in there you still have even this to this day sudanese refugees and sudanese people which is a is a horrible thing to see experiencing extreme racism and in so many things of um, organs uh, trafficking, sex trafficking, um, child trafficking, of, of issues that are inherently embedded on the devaluing of black life. 
you have in Palestine black lives of a, a lot of African immigrants that comes there are being mis like a, the are, are being sort of like mistreated in Jordan in um in and in the Middle East in in Qatar in uh, Dubai in Saudi Arabia in in Lebanon we have the whole movement in Lebanon of human rights against like all domestic workers um, and 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 other where they are still being called the the N word as a degradatory word so all of these things the first thing we need to understand is we can't be hypocrites we can't call black life matters in america because then we are opportunistic because we are here and with and this is happening right now here we have to really understand that human this is a human right the the right to 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 live in dignity freedom and dignity is a human right it doesn't matter where you are if you are here you're going to be supporter and ally to the black life matter if you go visit home and you're talking with your uh, uncle at home and or your aunt or your grandma and your and they just mentioned that oh my 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 a uh, neighbor or like this and this person and they start being uh, devaluing their lives or you see uh, domestic abuse and, and violence you stand up for it and 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 this is this is very important as a as a um, as a way I think to do it is to 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 acknowledge that as a universal right, and then it will be so easy for for you here to either become an ally if you don't identify as a as a sort of like a, a black person in terms of like a, the black culture or uh, as a descendant of African-American um, people uh, to, to, to know how you can be that middle ally. There is, there is an, 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 a group of people who are a privileged minorities and you are in, in, in the larger systemic um, impact you are part of the minor you are part of the oppressed group so this is where you really need to understand your alliance and your um, impact so even though you are not uh, necessarily black in, but when people even the black life matter as a movement, when it's advocating for the the black lives, it's it's essentially advocating for all lives, which is it's not the all life matters. <laughs> don't do the all life matters. Just please don't do that. But uh, it's saying that if black life doesn't matter, then no other life would matter. So you have to really be be um, part of that. And I want to say about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and art, for example, like when 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 the protest happened in Cleveland, my city, and I see my role as what you mentioned as a as a, a Arab African uh, woman, Nubian, and all of those sort of like intersections um, that I I hold 
in my identity, uh, and but also as an artist, what can I do? And I did a performance art during one of the protests, and I had a, a the performance was I had a huge target sign, or um, painted on my face, and I did this sort of like um, a performance that is based on uh, a traditional Sudanese dance of a slow walk, and uh, in front of and it happened in front of police officers. And um, I remember at some point I was, was walking, there was a, a military uh, Humvee and uh, one of the National Guard was, um, was guarding it with his weapons. And I remember I stopped. I stopped in front of that guard because at that moment, even though I was part of the Black Lives Matter march, at that moment, I was also confronted by all of these identities, what does that military man in uniform, Amer America represent to me, to my people? They represent American uh, troops outside, the atrocities uh, that, that they committed to see, to see face to face an American soldier, to me was horrifying. While everyone else was passing by it and thanking them for guarding them, uh, in a way, while the threat mainly comes from police, I was at that moment terrified of everyone, the police, the military, because I know what American military does outside the US. I know on the outside, we are the victims of, of, uh, of that violence. I know Abu Ghraib, I know uh, Afghanistan, I know that the, there's airstrikes we i was so at that point i was so scared i froze and i remember seeing sort of like how how at that moment we are all trying to help each other like even by me bringing out why my experience or uh, the experience of people, other people, like uh, we were not invaded by, by American troops, but I know other Arabs countries who, who have, and, and the legacy of that is still um, traumatizing up to this day. To understand we can, we can um, meet at trauma. We can understand the, 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 movement, the movement, we can understand the pain, the fear, of a black person once stopped by a, a policeman, the chances that you might get killed and not get justice because your life, your word, your story doesn't count, doesn't matter. And we've and we have in in our communities in different in different countries as um, people who who who've been. Um, subjected to to other international policies uh, of the of the United States, been, or even within our own government, we've been through that. We 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 have experienced that um, that kind of uh, trauma and fear. So we need there. We understand that pain. We empathize, and at that moment, we see each other, human to a human. We are on the same. Um, we're the same place in, in, in humanity. And maybe tapping into that would help us really 
believe in that in that sort of like uh, message that my life mattered black life matters and and seeing that connection is going to be crucial to sustain this sort of like work to the same way we the same way we're passionate um to create those sort of like change and justices in our home uh, countries and things to to continue working with with the community and be part of it. I mean, I think it's a, it's it's a going to be a kind of like a, a good opportunity right now for for the community and, and, and responsibility for also for like artists like me, like you, Lara, like other people to, to actually tap into that. To really try to use our role as, um, as people who are trying to influence change through, through art by trying to find those sort of like, um, uh, connections, whether it's identity, whether it's like uh, values, whether it's, um, what is it, um, interests, and, um, and, and another way to do it is um, vote. And I know this is, this is something that we're still working with in our community, but if you really believe in something, you are going to not stop at just the idea, but move that idea into action. Uh, being engaging, getting to know the the community, and just talk with them, understand what are their issues, and then use your privilege and or power, and that could be as something as small as the the privilege to vote you have a vote to kind of advocate for the ideas that you believe in and also for those who, who can't access those um, privileges as well. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work to do, <laughs> but we can do it. Yes, I think that this is, this is how we get started. We have the conversation, we commune, even with coronavirus, we, we make it happen because this is, this is this is a start, and I really, really appreciate you joining this podcast and and voicing your mission and your perspective. And I really believe that the more we do this, the more we bring voices like yours to the table, the the better this life can be for all of us. So, thank you, Malaz, so much for doing this. And uh, I think that this is a wrap. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Laura, and um, kisses to your little girls. I think they are uh, beautiful. Um, I love my hair. I have a super <laughs> hair. <laughs> and uh, I'm always, whenever I'm in a place and, um, and I um, see uh, Arab, sometimes they, I get all of those comments as well. Why don't you straighten your hair? Or well, like, I know. Why do that? <laughs> and I'm like, I love my hair. <laughs> and I love straight hair too. And I would look so amazing if I do it. 
but I also love myself this way and I look amazing as I am now. So um, I think it's, uh, it's really important what you mentioned earlier about um, starting at home, educating our, um, our children, building their confidence um, from, from early on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and their value system, you know? Definitely. Yes, I second that and third that. And <laughs> yes, yes, yes to all of it. <laughs> yes. Black is beautiful. <laughs> yes, it is. And when, you know, Black lives don't matter, then no life matters. That, that is such a powerful message that we, we all need to recognize and believe in. Because there's no way all lives matter if Black lives don't. And we just, we just need to keep... Essential is the same message, like essential, but this is like historically, okay? We do come from black lives. We do. We do. We do come genetically, like way, way, way back. So we're really devaluing ourselves in that sense. But I don't want it to come from a selfish place where people only care about self. It's also our ability to empathize and, and, and care about others who at this point, like we're not going back in history, but at this point seem uh, or are different to us in their experiences and in things. But I think mm-hmm. that there is a, yeah, I like, <laughs> I, li- I like black. I like everything black. I like, yes. I have a beautiful black. Black, black, um, black on black. Oh yep. my goodness. I love black. I love my favorite color is black. My son always tells me, you wear black all the time. And I'm like, black is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Malaz. This was a great conversation. I hope our listeners are going to enjoy it just as much as I did. And uh, we'll, we'll be out there soon. Yeah, and if they want to connect with um, me and learn more about the work and I, um, that I do with the community and Haboba Van, um, they can head out to our website, which is www.habobavan. That's H-A-B-B-O-B-A-V-A-N. dot com, and uh, our Instagram is uh, Haboba Van, H-A-B-B-O-B-A-V-A-N. And um, they can also um, head out to my, uh, my, my work, and that's uh, E-L underscore Malaz, M-A-L-A-Z. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. <laughs> Our long conversation. Yes. <laughs> All right, Malaz, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hope that everybody enjoys this when they get the chance to listen to it. So have a good night. Bye. Uh, Bye-bye.